Today, I'm not speaking from this text, but this is the heart with which I come. Uh, among peers can be intimidating, so I want you guys to know uh, I come with this heart. Paul writes to his, uh, the second letter we have of, of him to the church in Corinth, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord, Jesus Christ. And who is that? The Father of mercies and God of all comfort. Can we say all comfort? All comfort. Who comforts us in all our tribulation? Can we say all trouble? And what's the result of that? That we may be comforted, of course, but also that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble. With the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by the God of all comfort. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds through Christ. Consolation is comfort in the midst of discouragement, or comfort coming out of discouragement. It abounds in us and through Christ. Um, Sufferings of Christ, when we suffer, he's suffering with us. He cares about us. He ever lives to make intercession for us. And and, uh, he led the way in the way of suffering. And yet we have the hope and assurance of resurrection. And so through his spirit, he comforts us in the midst of our trouble. Now, if we are afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation. Uh, Our worship pastor, Sheikh, wrote a song called Medicine. And it was when he was going through a really tough time being hospitalized and being kept unconscious for months. And when he came out of all that, he had to learn to walk again, had to learn to sing again. He was going flat and all these other things. This was years before we met him. And his prayer was, Lord, make this medicine for somebody else. Anyway, anyway, it's a great song. Um, And so the stuff we go through can become medicine for someone else. Um, I've heard people that have been snake bit, have, and survive has special qualities in their blood that can benefit others. And so if we want everyone to succeed, we certainly want to benefit, get mileage out of the enemy's attacks. Now, if we are afflicted, it's for your consolation and salvation, which is effective for enduring the same sufferings which we also suffer. Or if we are comforted, it is for your consolation or comfort in the midst of discouragement, and salvation. And our hope for you is steadfast, because we know that as you are partakers of the sufferings, so also you will partake of the consolation. The gift goes on. Uh, Remember, Abby Turnquist sang the song, The Gift Goes On, The Father Gave the Son, The Son Gave the Spirit, The Spirit Gives Us Life, The Gift Goes On. And so as we walk in resurrection life, what does that mean? It means there's, we're coming out of death, right? right? For the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. He didn't love the cross. He despised the shame of the cross, but for the joy ahead of him. At the entryway in our house is a painting of Jesus, kind of a silhouette of his face, very beautiful. In front of his nose is gold. That's the joy set before him. And the back of his head is red. I wish I brought it and you could see it. For the joy set before him, he went through, the, went through the, the suffering. And so it is for us. For the joy set before us, we endure. And so, having come through some stuff, just like all of y'all, it's my desire to comfort you with things that I've, that I've learned. Uh, 
Raising your tolerance level. Now, the word tolerance is getting hijacked by our culture, but it used to mean, and in my mind, it still means um, to be able to tolerate that which might be difficult. I had a cousin uh, who choked as a child on gum, as a little kid, and it was traumatized. He was an identical twin, and he had this difference with his identical. He had a very low pain threshold. You could flip his ear and he'd scream like you'd hit him in the nose with your fist full force. It was bizarre, but his pain threshold was very low. And so part of what I'm sharing today comes from a talk that I heard Gerald Brooks give. I don't know if you've heard of Gerald Brooks. He leads a Grace Outreach Center in Plano. He's kind of a John Maxwell slash Word of Faith guy. And uh, he puts on a conference every spring. I got to go to one of them, took our staff. And the opening session was the only one I remember. And it was on growing our pain threshold. But before I get to that, let's just kind of build a launching pan. Pad. Pan. Some of the things I did not learn in Bible college. I'm not saying they didn't teach them. I just didn't learn these things. Uh, I learned this at AOI. We are the most, we are the most dangerous person in our ministries. Remember when John Kelly told us that? He said, if you mess up, it has more impact than anybody else messing up. We're the most dangerous person in our ministries. Therefore, I am responsible for the condition of my heart or my heart's condition. And when aware of pain, it is not wise to ignore or deny it. As men, it's easy to not get in touch with our feelings. You know, we're not trained as boys to get in touch with our feelings because we're men. But as pastors, we've got to be sensitive to people's needs. It's easy to ignore your own needs. And meanwhile, you could be a ticking time bomb, a a short-fuse powder keg just fixing to go off on somebody. (laughs) Unhealed hurt can reproduce itself in relationships. Um, If you've been hurt, it's important to acknowledge it. Uh, When hurt, it is imperative to pursue our full healing. Otherwise, you'll just keep getting hurt in that same thing. The enemy will keep keep doing the same thing. If you've ever smashed your thumb with a hammer, man, it hurts, doesn't it? It turns black and blue. And until it completely heals, someone can do this to you, and it feels like a hammer, you know, because you're not healed. And so sometimes in our reactions and relating to people, our reactions can be out of proportion to the scenario we're facing, whether it's a circumstance or a personal encounter, because we're not healed. And we can blame others for hurting us, but we are responsible to deal with the condition of our heart. I don't care who hurt us. And it is possible to have a tougher hide with a softer heart. That's what this is about. It is possible to develop a tougher hide and a softer heart. Many ministers become thin-skinned, and hard heart. A hardened heart with a thin skin is not a good. It's, it's, it's not a good foundation for ministering to hurting people. Helpful answers are available for us all to seek out. Uh, there's a proverb that talks about wise people seek for wisdom as treasure. Wise people will seek it out. So here's. Three keys for growing our pain threshold. But before I get to that, does anybody else have a line or two of something you didn't learn in Bible school that you know now? 
that you, maybe they taught it, but you just didn't pick it up. Anybody? What to do with elders gone wild. What do you do with elders gone wild? <laughs> well, that's a seminar you can teach, bro. That's good. That's good. Somebody else. No lessons on prayer in seminary. Three years. Imagine that. Wow. You don't remember it, or they never taught it? <laughs> wow. Lord, help us. Somebody else? Well, I never knew that hurt people hurt people, and that sheep bite. You yeah. know, you think, wow, you know, who's going to bite the hand that feeds them? You know, you're, you want to help them, you're trying to make things better, and, then, you know, if somebody's hurting, and inevitably they can reach out and hurt you. So I didn't, I didn't know that in the first few years of ministry. I didn't learn that in Bible school. <laughs> yeah. Sheep, sheep bite, goats butt, yeah. shepherds lead, and butchers drive. Yeah. <laughs> I think a, a shepherd turned butcher is someone with thin skin and a hard heart. Yeah. Uh, remember the, the guy who wrote the book on 23rd Psalm and studied yeah. shepherds and stuff yeah. was in the Holy Land and saw yeah. a guy driving sheep yeah. and says, I thought shepherds only led sheep. This is messing with my theology. And they said, oh, that's not the shepherd, that's the butcher. <laughs> Anybody else? All right, let's dive into three keys for growing our pain threshold. Here they are. Uh, sorry for all the alliteration, but uh, for the sake of memory and fun, I just uh, got carried away. Uh, one is to remember why we minister. That's our purpose. And to recall how long we want to minister. That's related to our patience. And to recommit who we minister for. That's our passion. We minister as unto the Lord. I was hungry, you fed me. I was unlearned, and you taught me. I was an HTL, hard to love, and you loved me. We do it for him. So our purpose, our patience, and our passion. So... I don't want to race through these three, but I want to pause just like I did with that last segment. Pause at the end of purpose, at the end of patience, and the end of passion. So think about what uh, you would like to share. Uh, The concept of growing our pain threshold, Gerald Brooks said, can be connected to the growth of our ministry. If, let's say you're a pastor of a church. I recognize we're not all in senior leadership. But if you're a pastor of a church, maybe four people in a hundred people are a pain. Hard to get along with annoying or chronic time wasters or whatever. Well, just double that. Church of 200. You may have eight people. Well, what if you had a church of 2,000? Proportionately, it could be 80 people. So Gerald Brooks proposed the theory that if we could grow our pain threshold, then the Lord could grow our churches. <laughs> he doesn't want the ministry to destroy us. Some guys' ministries did outgrow their character, their, their pain threshold. And uh, we saw that in Seattle. I mean, the anger this poor brother had. Highly gifted man. I still respect him. But uh, the annoying people got to him, and then, and then they turned the whole world against the poor guy. 
So if we can grow our purpose, grow in patience, and grow in passion, we can increase our pain threshold, our tolerance level. That's the concept behind this talk. Um, To revitalize our purpose, we need to realize what is unimportant. Some things are not worth getting upset over. Really? Really? It's not, yeah, not the hill to die on. It's not important. Man, in the early days of my ministry, I was like, the Lord told me one day, he says, you're like a janitor that cleans a school up and then wants to keep the kids outside, not let them mess things up. Keeping it clean 24-7 isn't important. It's important to establish order, but then allow disorder to happen and then come along with order. Even God himself in creation spoke things into existence. Then he would establish order. Let there be light. There was light. Then he divided the light from the darkness. If he hadn't established order, the world may not be fit to live in. We may be in perpetual twilight or just beams of light shooting here and there. You know what I mean? Or uh, streaks of darkness suddenly coming in the room and we can't see each other. But he established order. And so it is in a church. You want life. That's what's important. And when the life comes, then you establish order. Paul himself would even plant a church, stay with them for a season, and leave without putting anybody in charge. It wasn't important at the time. What was important at the time was for the group to gel, life to take place, until somebody was ready to become an elder. And when he came back through, Watchman Nee said it was obvious who the elder was. (laughs) Then he would ordain the guys that were elderly. So realize what's unimportant. And, of course, retain what is important. Don't let go of those things that are important. This is our purpose. Sometimes we can get affected by people's um, perspective. Maybe they've got an agenda. Maybe they don't. Maybe they read a book or whatever. And they'll try to change your purpose. But listen to them. But hold on to what's important. What is important to you? And then finally, recognize what is never up for grabs. There are some things you can never compromise on. You just can't. Um, and you got to know what those things are. Strengthen yourself in your purpose. And then you're just like the rock that the rains beat on, the winds blew against, and you're set. And things can bounce off of you more. But if you're not settled on your purpose, you can get rattled. And when, when I'm rattled, I'm vulnerable to temptation of anger and lashing out. In the early days of our church, we had another church in town closed, and a bunch of those people came our way. That's never a good thing, in reality. Um, you got some sifting to do. And so there were some good people in, the, in their mix. In fact, they, they all were good. I just didn't know how to lead them all. And this one couple, constant complaining. Every time I got to them, they were complaining, they were complaining, they were complaining. They were hurting. And they lived next door to us. So one day, I'd had enough, and I went down to their house, and we sat down with them, and I got to them to agree that they really needed to find another church. I was so calm, it was great, you know, pat myself on the back, did good, 
pastor these people to the point of their leaving. It's better that they go. <laughs> Three nights later, we have a leadership meeting at our house, and who comes showing up? But this couple. I led her inside with the rest of the people. I didn't go to the leadership meeting. That brother and I had a leadership meeting out in the yard. It was cold. I was shivering. I didn't have a coat on. And I chewed him out like he had never been talked to in all of his life for 20, no exaggeration, at least 20 minutes, over 20 minutes. Who do you think you are? And the things I told him, he needed to hear, but not in the spirit in which I told him. And it changed his life, but I didn't get to taste the fruit of it. Because <laughs> it did change churches. <laughs> Years later, at a citywide meeting, it's a time of reconciliation. I go to the brother and I humble myself and please forgive me. And he's our Armenian guy. He said, it's okay, brother. I was out of order. (laughs) (laughs) So if I knew then what I knew now, I probably would have handled that different. They definitely needed special attention, but just the relentless complaining, I just wasn't as settled on my purpose as I should have been. I'm here to help hurting people, and we are going to see this couple through. I'm not going to take the things they're saying personal, because they were saying things about all churches. It wasn't just us. So, anyway. Anybody else on how to strengthen your purpose? How to grow your purpose level? No, but I think I've known in the earlier days of planning a church, you want to hang on to everybody. You know what I mean? Because you're trying to have one person or one family leaving and make a huge difference to you. I think we've had to learn like you the hard way that you've got to stay true to your vision and the purpose for your church. You know what I mean? There's a purpose for the church universe. What's your church? What does God call you to do? And it's easy to waffle on that sometimes to try to. We went to a church once that. I asked the pastor, we were with there, what's your vision? And, and I made a strategic error because he asked me, well, what's yours? And I told him, and then he said, well, that's ours. And later on, I found out he did that to everybody. Well, what's yours? <laughs> so, well, yeah, that's our vision. Come on and join us. So you had all these people that had a different vision, and it took a couple years to figure out that's really not his vision or purpose. He was just saying what we needed to hear. So I think I try to be real clear in membership classes and everything else. Here's who we are, here's where we're headed. You know what I mean? And we're not. Yeah. The more you can make clear up front, I think the better. I heard the other day we are defined as much by what we say no to as what we say yes to. Yeah. I've discovered that as senior pastor, you stand in the way of what people want. They want this, they want that, and you're the guy that stands in the way. So you have to ask yourself, you know, what is going to keep me solid? And obviously, it's purpose, vision. This is, you don't get to do this. (laughs) You know, you don't get to take the church a different course than what we're running. And you're the guy that stands in the way. And it's hard. It's real hard when they're your best friends and when they're, you know, supporters and when they've been with you. But yet, you stand in the way of what they want. Yeah, yeah. I think one of the things that helped us is recognizing the seasonality of things so that we maintain a purpose and realize that every season's come and go. And you have to take a step back and maintain objectivity and say, okay, how do we respond to this in a way that's consistent with our purpose? That's good. That's good. 
Change is important at the right times, and purpose is the is the foundation for change. Uh, I think charismatic churches a lot, a couple in our town even that don't exist much anymore. Is with every change they throw the past away. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'll do a new thing. Yeah, God does new things, but He builds on the old things. Right. Right. He's a God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Joseph, Judah, he builds, he builds. I mean, go to the life of Jesus. There's that huge genealogy. What is that? That is his name. That's who he is, the son of the son of the son of the son of the son. He builds on our past. And so our purpose keeps our foundation connected to, to what God revealed that he wants to do. I mean, if we plant a church or started a ministry, the Lord gave you a vision, and obviously there's adjustments to it here and there, and he confirms what it is. Don't throw that away with every new thing. And the new things, there's seasons. There's seasons to have the youth band. There's seasons to, you know, build a building or whatever. Anyway, well, one good. last thing. Yeah. I learned that the call to ministry is a call to die. Right. That my purpose is to die daily. As Paul said, I die daily. Yeah. So if I can embrace that and realize that, even as Paul said, death in me produces life in you. So then it's like you can embrace that. It's like, you know, I've already given this pain. I recognize this cross in my life. And I'm laying my life down for these people. So then it doesn't shatter you when someone is hurtful, you know. And you can still love them realizing, okay, you know, the Lord died for them. And I'm dying. I'm dying myself right now. You know, I'm dying to having, having to be right. I'm dying to having my own way. I'm dying to be under, I'm dying to being misunderstood, to being wanting to be understood, but being misunderstood. And when I can see that, you know, it it I'm able to you know ascend and rise above it. Oh yeah. Did I say I got there? No. It has taken a long time, but you know that's okay too. You know, not totally there 100 percent of the time either. People are watching us, and when we when we embrace the cross, it has an impact. Oh yeah. Pastor in a small town, just because people leave your church doesn't mean you won't see them again. Yeah. Big cities, you might not. That has its own problems, but this has its own problems too. One time we walked in a restaurant where a bunch of our people were eating. Everybody saw us arrive. There was no place to sit except at one table. A couple that used to go to our church, when they left, we sang Blessed Departure. <laughs> so our people are watching us. What are we going to do? Right. We sat down and ate with those people in the road yes. yeah. and some restoration. Yeah, yeah. Still yeah. passing. We've done funerals for ex-members. <laughs> Yeah. And the whole rest of their families, they just walk yeah. in the love of God. It's death to self. Yeah. The ultimate purpose is that God's love reaches its destination. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and also, you know, it's like we have to understand that they're the ones, they're not concerned about how something's impacting us. Mm-hmm. They don't really care about how we feel, and that's that's okay. It really is okay right. because you know it's like a parent-child relationship. You know. You're you're the parent, you know. They're they're the child, and That's you right. have to take it on the chin. People go to church for a different reason than we do. Yeah. We have to reality. All right, how to revitalize our patience? Uh, it takes time before we launch into filling the blanks. It takes time. The Bible says tribulation works patience. You ever heard somebody say, "Don't pray for patience"? Yeah. Um, I don't say that to people anymore because who would pray for patience none other than someone going through a tribulation so we're telling people going through hard times not to pray <laughs> about their needs are we telling God I can do this on my own I don't trust you you better pray for patience when you need it so time 
experience does help. And so there's nothing like a Pastor Olin in your life or someone who's gone on before you to breathe life into you with, oh, son, this is going to settle down. You just preach the love of God. <laughs> drive, your, drive your naysayers nuts. Just ignore them and preach the love of God. And, and uh, remember him saying, sometimes people ask him, what was the key to your success? He'd just say, I stayed. Yeah. <laughs> I stayed. All right. Yes, yes. Yes. Um, patience. Be willing to relearn what you may have forgotten. Maybe you hadn't forgotten it. Maybe you already know it. But knowledge is not a substitute for reality. Right? right? Mm-hmm. Just because you can say a quote doesn't mean that quote is active in your life. And so tests and trials get us, give us an opportunity to put the truth we know into action so that what we knew we now know experientially rather than just mentally. And I hate relearning what I already know. (laughs) But in reality, maybe I really didn't know it, but now I'm really going to know it. Uh, Next, reflect on enjoying God's patience. How many times have I been upset with someone and gone to prayer and the Lord reminded me of the time in my life when I was the same. Yeah, right. One time, <laughs> I was uh, developing in, the, in this area, and I called a previous pastor for the way I was behaving in his church years earlier. That's a whole other story. Um, and uh, he just blew me off, said, you weren't like that at all, yada, yada, yada. But it's, it's healthy to realize God has been patient with me. And extend that same blessing to others. I've received a gift. I need to give it. Uh, Restrain yourself for future joys. For the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. We endure. Endurance leads to, ultimately, you follow that chain. I think Peter was writing about it. Ultimately, it leads to hope. (laughs) A solid place of emotional tranquility based on a positive future. So for the sake of the future, we restrain our overreactions. We're going to make ourselves be patient for the sake of future joy. Keep your eyes on the prize. For the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. Turn from looking at the red to looking at the gold. I see that every time I come home and every time I, mm-hmm. I go to work. For the joy set before me, I'm going to endure what I have to walk through today. Um, as the most dangerous member of the church, I could tear the whole thing up in anger. But having had my hurts healed, for me it took some counseling and some other things, whatever you've got to do to get your hurts healed, get them healed, but then work on developing your tolerance level so you're not so easily hurt. Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. It's a promise in Psalm 119. And next, repent of perfectionism. That is idolatry. Uh, What's perfect today is imperfect tomorrow. Um, Pursue excellence. Excellence means improvement, to excel, to, to, to make better. But to make perfect, that's impossible. Only right. God is perfect. Right. And you have to deal with the people that you have. Deal with the people that you deal with. Watching me wrote a book called The Normal Christian Church. Mm-hmm. You can't buy it in the Christian bookstore. You can buy The Normal Christian Life, but The Normal Christian 
church, you can only buy from that cult. The local church, yes. the Witness Lee Bunch, they have the publishing house at Irving. They sell this book. It is a great book. Yeah. Great detail, huh? Paul would plant a church and use the gifts that were there. And so, instead of pining for that guy's gifted person, you've got gifts right there. You've got a church full of, or a ministry full of preachers. You've just got it. They've just got to be developed. And uh, others, other, other things like that. And so perfectionism, it's going to eat your lunch. It just is. Got to chill out. Um, let the schoolhouse get messed up. We're no oxen are. The stall is clean. It's perfect. But it's dead. Graveyards are beautiful. But they're dead. A church with empty nurseries smells good. But it's going to die. The sign of, sign of dying. Anybody else have insights on growing our patience level? I have a kind of testimony is, you know, we, we started doing the, the morning coffee and donut thing, you know, it's just huge success. But the, I have a younger senior leadership team, and they said we need to allow people to take coffee in the sanctuary. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. There was a lady worshiping beside me who had an open full cup of coffee by her foot. And I just watched that lady the whole time. She goes, knock that over and stay in this carpet. I'm not going to say to repent to God and just say people are more important than carpet. Wow. Are you sure? We still let them eat in there, but we do let them bring their coffee. And I'm thinking, we give them a break to go get coffee. Why can't they just wait to get that and drink their coffee during the message, not during worship? You raise your one hand, you got a cup of coffee in the other. But, yeah. you know, I just decided, you know, I'm going to let go. Kim, they, they, they have lids. She just didn't put one on there. Oh, yeah. yeah. Sometimes they don't put it in. Yeah. So, I wait, get, you give them a break? We give them a break. A break? During service? After worship, yes. After worship, uh, and we have the, kind of the announcement time and whatever we're doing there. But we're going to so take a five minute break. We'll use the restroom, get a fresh cup of coffee, come back and enjoy the break. Really, really strategically that. Yeah. Yeah. Our, I don't know about our people, and they're, they're a friendly bunch, and they just They do, but there is this, you know, we construct our leadership team and all the directors, you know, you start ushering people back in, you're busy with them, you're, you know, fellowshipping, but let's get back into service. It's, it's a challenge, but Cool. Well, back to the coffee and the sanctuary and spills. Kim Dry, C H E M I P Dry. Put their number in your phone. Those guys are awesome. They have this great big vacuum cleaner. They come in and vacuum the spots or however you want to do. They do the whole room and they can just do the certain area. They vacuum it and then they spray chemicals on it and then put this buffer on it and the, the towel that spins brings up all that stuff. And they're very reasonable. They really are. We, we discovered that the visitors, the good old boys that are finally drugging the church, you know, the people that are just kind of a laid back, kind of Sunday morning kind of person, they're enjoying it. That's good. It's working for it. I guess it's working. We've increased the growth. How long have we been doing it? Uh, we just started a little over a year ago. Oh, it's been a whole year? Yeah. Okay. Well, we built this whole room, and I've shared this before this week, one of our visitors came in, and she's a food rep for some major restaurants in Dallas, and she'd been coming a little while, she said, I just want to make a suggestion that y'all have, uh, 
free service, coffee and, 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 and uh, food, and I'll supply it. Yeah. And so she brings, she, like Sunday, she had these amazing uh, tacos or, or burritos, breakfast burritos. Oh my oh, goodness, that, you're uh, feeding folks. boxes of donuts and all this food and all this coffee. People come in early. They start all coming early so they can give their kid a donut. Yeah, that's great. They can eat something and they're not rushing to make breakfast. And so they're just the whole room full of people. And then we start service. And, and then they usher on in. Worship starts on the TVs, you know, they can hear it, and a little slow to get in there, and then give a little break to go get a week. That's great. I talked to Robert about that once at Gateway, because they don't allow that set of They do in Rutgers and Pills. They allow it to come What they did there was put in carpet squares mm-hmm. that they can replace, you know, instead of having to do the whole thing. I like that one. We had one one little spill, and that's all we had. Yeah. It's like all my fears weren't, weren't realized. <laughs> oh, it don't happen though. But I, I just I felt like I wanted to listen to a younger team. Yeah. And you know, here's yeah. the ball. Yeah. Here's the ball. What do you want to do with it? Well, here's what we want to do. So. We were in Colorado and went to our Lord and Sunday most church, and they had coffee just coming in. You know, they had like little flask things with the lid on it. And they're like one, and it's all young people, like yeah. 20s, 30s, 40s. Yeah. And they've got like one hand raised for the coffee and one hand just kind of chilling and great vibe and the whole place. Precious. Definitely not a Mormon church. Definitely not a Mormon church. No. That was a joke. No. <laughs> 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 but that's, that's the word. It's, it's just a good vibe. That's a good word. Yeah. Perfectionism. Yeah. I Very normal with us, and, and 
this Sunday was the first time we had a, just a slot mic feedback. And, and this is the first time in five, six, seven years I can remember there being anything that was distracting. Wow. It was just because they, everybody knows my function and they take it very serious and they do it to the right. best of their ability. Yes. And they get there two hours early and they run yeah. through. And we, our computers crash every week, every other week. But they're so early at being there that wow. they're rebooting, they're changing right. out computers. Yeah. They're making sure that by the time service starts, it's presented in such yeah. excellence, yeah. Yeah. Of excellence that most people don't We're, feel. We are in the process of changing every church computer to Mac. Because I'm sick of the crashes. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm even sick of media shop. We're going to Mac and Pro Presenter. That's it. Yeah. Yes. What helped me because I intend to be a perfectionist. But I, I love what you're saying because Stan Tolan has a book called The Five Star Church that many years ago really changed, our, turned our church around. We've gone through it with our entire leadership. But we do strive for excellence. But what helped me with the whole perfectionism thing, and like I said, I still do struggle with it, learning to love people. Yes. You know, care about people because it's like if you put that person first and their needs over things staying clean and perfect, then you know that's the only way that I'm able to, you know, overlook the messes or the things that people just do, you know. And so that that helped me just, you know, care about people, see what their needs are, their hurts are. You know, it's like with your own children you're like that. You know, you care more about your kids than you do their messy room, but you're still gonna ask them to keep their room clean. But so it's just learning to love people and that be more important than perfection. Can I, add, can I just strengthen that? Back to your I was thinking the same thing. And I, I constantly drive this in our leadership is the people are more important than what they do. Right. Uh, yes. people, people are more important than what you think you are. Beings. Yeah. And, and, and I tell them it's, 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 it's the philosophy of, of man over the mission. Because a lot of churches, it's all mission over the man. We've got to accomplish the mission. We've got to build the building. We've got to create this atmosphere. It's, it's the mission, which mission's great. But our philosophy is man over the mission. Yeah. And mission over the man is, a, is literally a military philosophy. It's, it's, it's mission over the man. In other words, we're going to take the hill, no matter how many people we kill. Right. And when I was an Army drill sergeant, they, they trained us to train men to follow orders to death. And so it's mission over the man. Well, that philosophy gets really locked down in people's hearts and ministry. We've got to accomplish the mission. We've got to come. I don't care how many people fall or get hurt or wounded. We're going to accomplish the mission. So, people are This is the Lord's army. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. <laughs> What's that? You still have excellence. Still have excellence. Yeah. yeah. And sometimes the man becomes the mission. Yeah. And then you got to accomplish that mission and that man because yeah. he's always about him now. Yeah. yeah. That's good. good stuff. And there's some people that can do some things that you're doing. You can free yourself up so you can do the things right. that they're not doing properly. And uh, we had a problem with somebody not keeping up with the website. And, and then we changed servers, and the old server didn't know how to get rid of that website. So we had that website. We knew one day it would just disappear. So I told the webmaster, I'm going to start another website just when this happens. And it was a graceful transition. We had two websites for a couple of years, and then suddenly that original one 
went down, and I was a webmaster, and I never passed the baton back to that person. Um, sometimes you have to just do things rather than be angry that you don't have anybody to do them. If you can free yourself up to do that, so yeah, that's good. All right, develop our purpose, our sense of purpose, and our patience. And probably this is the most important one, our passion. Return to first love, devotion. Which is, which is why it's, the, it's for who we minister, the Lord. Uh, the devotion of a new believer. One of our small groups, a new believer, showed up one night and said, Man, I found the coolest scripture. Oh yeah, read it to us. And he read it with such depth and such passion. For God so loved the world. Amen. You know, and it was, it was intoxicating. It was uh, refreshing. refreshing. It was contagious. The room filled with fresh appreciation. The fact that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. We, we can't get away from our first love. Repent and do the first works. The Lord himself dictated a letter to a church, you know, seven churches in the book of the revelation of Jesus Christ and rebuked the church for leaving their first love. He said, repent and do the first works. Right. Um, I think that's one thing about Pastor Olin. He has, he has retained that first love yeah. devotion. I mean, he'll get yeah. giddy just like a new believer. Yeah, he does. And giggle and laugh over yeah. some simple truth that is just freshly alive with him. To renew your passion, which is part of increasing your tolerance level, um, refresh yourself with rest. Not only includes enough sleep, but we don't have to be the one doing all the work all the time. Others can do it. Uh, you may not be able to take a three-month sabbatical with just God and your family every four years. But what can you do? Do that? Right. I remember one time you told me that you, you went on a rest and you stayed in bed for three days. And I don't know if you remember that story completely, but you said that something happens in the body when you don't do anything. Yeah. I remember you telling me that story. Yeah, it's, uh, you, you just need it. Um, and resting the mind, not preaching. Rest your mind. Rest. Uh, one time I, I, I was uh, kind of ticked off. Lord, I've not had a sabbatical. I've not had this. The Lord just showed me I hadn't done what I could do. You're over the pulpit schedule. Right. So I booked myself out for eight weeks straight. Scary. But it worked. The church, church never oh, missed a beat. It was good for me. It was good for the church. It's good. Uh, next, refine your time schedule. I've never been a daytimer kind of guy, but I became one for the sake of logging my hours. In fact, the whole staff has every January, first of every year, they get a new uh, daily logbook to log their hours for two reasons. One, accountability. They gave me copies of their log sheets each month and then a monthly report of the top ten things they did. But also to make sure they're not working too much. Because church, the church ministry, the work is never done. There's always one more hill to climb, one more thing to do, one more issue, one more plate to keep spinning. Right. And 
so I, you know, I try to, at the end of the year, I divide the total number of hours by 52 and try to keep the average below 50. And I made it last year. Yes. Um, by working a whole lot, Robert's really good on, Robert Morse is really good on preaching this. By working a whole lot of hours, you're telling God he needs your help. By, by, by working a sane amount of hours, you're trusting the Lord to make up for the difference. And anyway, it's good. Uh, reset priorities. For years, I suffered in the area of priorities. I would make a target. God at the center. Then my wife. Then my children. Then the church. And invariably, the church would come in and take everybody's time, stuff like that. And I'd make the list. You know, God's at the top. Then your marriage. Then your children. Then your church. Then your job, you know. And invariably, one of the items gets gets all out of whack and, and you just feel condemned and you have to repent and go right back back to that. And I, I watched a video. Actually, the children's ministry had bought it for the children's workers and it was teaching by the executive pastor of the church in Brooklyn that Bill Wilson had. Uh, 5,000 kids, you know, and this guy, Bill's on the road all the time raising money because kids can't tithe. 10% of nothing is nothing. And so this guy pastors the church and he taught on priorities. He said priority is not a target. And it's not a list. He said it's a wheel. And all you want to make sure all the spokes that should be in your life, God, wife, you know, marriage, children, church, you need to make sure all your spokes are in place and that the wheel keeps turning if you want to live a balanced life. So if you're home playing catch with your kids, you're playing catch for God. If you're out walking, holding hands with your wife, you're holding hands for God. If you're spending time with the Lord and not answering phone calls, you're, you're spending time with God for the church. It all, this balanced life, keeping all those spokes in place. So that really helped me in resetting my priorities. Some, th- some things take number one because they have to at that season. You know, uh, if you have a newborn, the children are going to take precedent over everything at certain times of the day anyway. Uh, retreat strategically. Um, Unless there's a strategy in going to see kin folks, that's not really a retreat. But it could be a retreat by yourself, could be a retreat with your spouse. Uh, you know, Jimmy Evans at one of the uh, Gateway conferences pushed a little book he had called Mountaintop Marriage. Yvette and I did it. It was awesome. You work through uh, friction and then you work through plans for all the major eight areas of your life. Each morning you do a little bit, and then in the afternoon and evening you do something fun. Um, and we did it at one of these pastors' retreat centers. You know, there's pastors' retreat centers all over the nation that for a donation, and you could call them in advance and set it up where you go for nothing. I mean, if you don't have the resources, but we need to avail ourselves of these places just to get away. Um, I had a pastor's coach for a while, and he said, "You need to get away and just read the Bible." So I booked a place for five days. I wound up staying only three and a half days. And during that stay, I discovered I liked people. I thought I didn't like people. People were a source of stress in my life. But away from people, after about a day, I felt weird. I felt disturbed. It bothered me, but I made myself stay for three and a half days and just read the scriptures. And I came home and preached for a solid year on love. All the definitions of love is this and love is that, love is... Or, you know, I don't know how many dozens of Sundays it was. But 
Every time I've done some type of strategic retreat, the Lord has given some strategy that maybe I didn't go pursuing that. I'm just going to get some time away with the Lord. Uh, One time I went to, I missed the Shady Grove Retreat Center. That was a great place to go and stay. Um, One time I went there and the Lord impressed me to go to the Christian bookstore. And I went and bought John Bevere's book, Breaking Breaking Intimidation. And I started reading. I couldn't stop. I think I read it in about three hours, nonstop. Went to the bathroom a couple times. But it was like water to my soul on overcoming something that that would bother me and make me vulnerable to being hurt. So it, it helped raise my pain threshold. Um, each time I've done this, you make time for God, he will make it worth your while. Uh, yes. Uh, on the 25th wedding anniversary, quite a number of years ago, my wife and I just celebrated our 52nd wedding anniversary last month. But uh, we didn't have any money in. We were low in funds and we were wanting a place to go and do something to celebrate the 25th wedding anniversary. And there's a friend of ours found out about it who owned a private ranch down close to Marble Hall, Texas. It had a million dollar home sitting out in the middle of the ranch. And he gave it to us for a week. Wow. At this particular time, I was going through real difficulty with some people in the church and it was just ouch. She bites and all this kind of stuff mm-hmm. that you get in, in the pasture. Now, sitting out there on the balcony one morning at this beautiful place, and it overlooked a valley, and uh, he had exotic animals from Africa and other places in there, and all of a sudden a big elk came out in that valley out there, this big set of horns and stuff. And I looked up at God and I said, God, I love your creation. I absolutely love your creation. It was a beautiful sunrise. I mean, it's all perfect setting, temperature and everything. And the Lord spoke to me and he said, my highest creation is man. Wow. He said, now go back and love my people. Yeah. Revelation of his love for you. Yeah. yeah. That's wow. good. Wow, that's good. That's good, yeah. It revitalized your passion, right? It did. Yeah. It just did. Um, I know there may be times in our life we need to pray more, we need to fast more, we need to worship more, we need the discipline more. But in reality, we need revelation. Fresh understanding from the throne. Uh, Pastor Owen says it's so important to get away at least 30 miles because of territorial spirits. Oh, really? Yeah, he says, he told that one time, he said, listen, if you're going to go really hear God, there's going to be a greater open heaven if you get about 30 miles away because spirits are territorial. They'll stick in the same place. Man, I'm going to do that. So I ended up doing that and I got away and I was in East Texas and it was just been raining and a and I said, well, I'm just going to go for a hike, and there's nothing nothing really around there. It's up in the hills. There's a little path in one of the hill. And so I'm, it was a real steep hill, so I'm, I, I go up that path, and I'm, I'm huffing and I'm puffing at the top of the hill, and I'm saying, Lord, I really need a place to sit down. And I'm looking, the rocks are all wet, and the ground's wet. And I look over, and in the woods, there's a chair. There's <laughs> <laughs> a metal chair sitting in the woods about 20 yards away. I said, well, I think I'll sit there. <laughs> yeah. Just, you know, here in the Lord, there's those divine encounters like yeah. that. you got to get away and get a retreat. Get away somewhere. Well, a- after that time of not really liking being away from people, the next time I got away by myself, I was surrounded by people. I, the, the Southwest Seminary has a nice hotel. 
So I booked that for three nights, and I went and stayed there. I was surrounded by people. I didn't talk to any of them. But at 11 o'clock, I went to chapel each day and, you know, got some input there. But I just read and was way by myself, and I think it was over 30 miles from my house. So (laughs) there's something to it. That's good. Retreat strategically. Receive revelation. Um, It's not hoops to jump through or a list to check off. Well, I've done, you know, where's my... Where's my merit badge? No, it's all about hearing from God, hearing His voice. Uh, Restore thankfulness. Are we thankful for what God is doing in our life and ministry? Are we thankful? Um, Thankfulness will overcome the temptation to compare yourself. And rekindle friendships. And by rekindle, I'm not saying your, your friendships have died and now you've got to go start them up again. But just keep, you know, keep putting logs on the fire so friendships don't die down. Um, every Thursday, for years, over 20 years, we've had pastor's coffee break in Granbury, Texas. Assembly of God, Episcopal, Baptist, Lutheran guys show up at a coffee place. Coffee place moved, we just moved it to where they moved to. And it, they're just friends, they're they're. Just guys, it's not an official meeting or anything. Some guys have come and not liked it because it's not spiritual. But let somebody come in discouraged and the group comes alive. Somebody wanting to quit, the group comes alive. What are you going to do? The same people are in the next town. You need to think about it. So, yeah, so keep, keep your friendships alive. And your friends, your friends will keep you alive. Just will. A man who waters others will be watered himself. It's a form of... Form of giving. And we do this here too. This is good. But I think we need more than once a month. So look around locally. Pastor Olin was part of several groups back during, you know, when things had him so busy with Shady Grove. He was part of several groups of peers, including a group of friends in the church that weren't even leaders in the church that he would meet with. He still meets with them, meets with them two or three times a year. So friendships keeps our passion alive. Anybody else have any insights on keeping our passion alive? Or turning it up? Well, I think that everybody who's in ministry faces uh, that warfare of sometimes just wanting to quit. Or just like, why am I doing this? Or these people don't appreciate it. Or, you know, one of my phrases I've been saying recently, which is not a good phrase, is church is a revolving door. You know, people are going to walk in, they're going to walk out, and, you know, Guarding your heart on how much am I going to invest in this person, you know, when they could potentially stab you in the back, when they could potentially, you know, um, leave, leave or take others with them. And so for me, I have to just remind myself of the victories, the victories in students' lives, and, and the victories in people we have poured into. And, and just continue to remind myself, God, it's unto you. It's, it's to you first. And, you know, that helps me yeah. keep my passion alive. This needs a revelation, sister. My own self, I've always been able to deal with that because our original calling, I mean, this is part of our purpose. The Lord said you're to serve that city as pastor yeah. Yeah. of Shady Grove Church. Remember, Gary Benjamin told me something one time, and it was, you know, we're trying to build a church, it's growing, it's struggling it's back up and down and we had a, just this great worship leader Roger Burke remember yeah. Yeah. I, just, I just 
one of my all-time favorite worship guys. And they'd been coming, and, and uh, then they were leaving. And, and, and I, I talked to Gary, I said, man, we just, this is so hard. I hate, it's hard. I hate losing a sheep, yeah. you know, especially someone we're building it. Right. And he said, well, he didn't know who I was talking about. So he, he said, uh, well, how old are you? I said, oh, they're in 30s. He said, well, how long have they been coming? I said, they've been coming about three years. He said, that's right. Yeah. He says, because people will come, yeah. especially in that season of their life, and they'll go. Yeah. And for some reason, that just helped me think, well, people yeah. just come, and they go. There's a season, yeah. and they go. Yeah. And I have to, you have to accept it. Yeah. You don't have to like it, but you have to accept it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, one time I got invited by another pastor to go with him to a uh, pastor's meeting in Eagle Mountain. And George Pearson's was hosting this day for pastors. And they fed us like things. It was a great day. But basically the whole day was George Pearson's trying to encourage us based on the struggle he went through as a pastor with people leaving. Yeah. What happened was when he eventually took the leadership of the congregation officially, the thing grew, grew thousands in like a three-year period. Then gateway started, and high, uh, um, high point started, and thousands left. Wow. Uh, so it's all about how he, you know, got nurtured, got ministry, kind of what I'm doing here today a little bit, uh, how he did it. But not one time did he say, I thought about where these thousands came from. When somebody leaves, I've got to keep in mind how somebody else may have called on me that came to mind. One of the things that has helped me is, you know, the Lord uh, brings the Israelites into Canaan and they're going to reap what they haven't sown and they're going to yes. live as they did. So one of the things yeah. that keeps me pouring into people is I'm going to continue to be committed to sowing because even if I don't reap from the place I'm sowing, God will make sure I read from where I haven't sung. Oh, yes. yes. To keep pouring out yeah. and entering and keep it flowing. Otherwise, the tendency yeah. to want to just withdraw, clam up, and that's never going to happen again. Yeah. In the kingdom, we don't always read exactly where we saw. Right. right. That's good. Yeah. That is good. I came with a backup message in case you didn't come today for okay. the, the three bases of ministry, <laughs> the three R's of ministry, yeah. the least people to raise them up. But the third one, which is something we have a hard time, is yeah. Yeah. You know, and if we're really kingdom builders, yeah. 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 we pour our life into these, and they become great leaders. And we say, oh no, I've got too much invested in you. Well, you yeah. can invested in here, or invested yeah. in the kingdom, because yeah. when we release them, they yeah. can go and do great things. Yeah. That is absolutely true. Because if you are looking at how you will. Building your congregation or building the kingdom of God. Yeah. 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 the kingdom, and the person, the family who left that gospel of the kingdom, after three years, he's going back, going back, going back and building the kingdom. Yeah. So for God, when he's looking at, he's looking at the kingdom, not your church. It's not our church anymore. Yeah. The church is universal and world. And that principle is true even in, in business world. It is, it is true. Um, because I have been to the university for 35 years. And I have hired so many people and trained them. And I don't want anybody leaving. Because then I have to hire and retrain anybody. So once our chief business officer told me, 
Don't worry about your people leaving. They are moving to another department that is good for the university. So he was, he was looking at the university's benefit. I was looking at my department's benefit. I didn't want them to leave because I just lost my department. He was looking at, that's a good thing, you're training and sending people out. That's revelation. She and her husband, uh, that Saturday was their last day at our church. They have been they have been asked to come and help before she had a Methodist church in our city. And so at first we were like, mm, you know, you know, we had to do it our little doings. And then it's like, you know what? We're here to serve the city. They've been trained and groomed under under our leadership, under Shay's leadership. And now they're equipped to go serve somewhere else. So I, when I have her, she gave me the food, she said, I'm going to miss you so much. I said, you know, you're so part of our family. Yeah. Your, our arms extended to the community. Right. Just go and bless them. Yeah. Use them. Let the spirit of God form that message. You don't want your children living home forever. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. That day they first leave is the hardest day of your life. <laughs> <laughs> so a few months down the road or a few years down the road, so
Plant other churches or expand your church and give them room to minister or bless them as they go and know I could have. I've lost many great leaders. We've lost many great leaders because we didn't have room for them to step in. And so they're going to step in somewhere. Unfortunately, now it's like we're going to Watch the media says the local church is a